Let me begin with this question this morning. What is your favorite end zone celebration? Now, as Cleveland Browns fans, we haven't had to think about this for many years, right? But all of a sudden, it's becoming relevant again. And we, you know, we got to figure this out, right? Can I tell you what mine is? None of them. I hate act like you've been there before, right? Like, uh, and one of the things I like the least is uh, when, like, the team does it together. Like, when they all get down there together and then they, they start doing, you know, and they're... Now, I want you to imagine how this came to be. You're a grown man, and during the week, think how practice ended. One of the weekly practices, coach blew the whistle and said, all right, that's a wrap, gentlemen, hit the showers. And one of the backs said, oh, no, time out. We got to go practice. Down to the end zone, guys. And they're down there with what, a choreographer? You know, like, and working this out? Like, come on, man. Just act like your inflated paycheck is enough. You know, and, and hand the ball to the ref, run back to your sideline, have some dignity. You're serving your team. Just look to see if coach is pleased. Now, that's my take on it. Now, uh, that is linked, of course, to our passage today. We as a church are going through the Gospel of Luke. We are in chapter 17. We will start out today in verse 7. If you're being sharp, you'll notice we'll skip verses 5 and 6. Well, not really. We just already dealt with them. We covered that's about the mustard seed, and there was a similar passage, and we dealt with that when we talked about it back in, in chapter 13. So now we pick it up today in Luke 17, verse 7, and here is what we read there. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at table. Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. I love that last line. That's a powerful line. Like, I'll tell you what, like if Chubb or OBJ gets in the end zone, you know what I want? I want them to hand the ball to the ref, look in the camera and say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Man crush right there. I mean, I'm done, right? Like that is, that would be astounding. Because the, the fact is, look, uh, this passage is, it says that we are not to be thanked. That's hard for you are not thanked. Jesus is speaking specifically at this point to disciples, and he says, You are unworthy servants. You don't get served, you don't get applauded, you don't get a sticker, you don't do a little dance, you don't get thanked. You're just doing your duty. And we don't like that because we live in a culture where you get a trophy just for participating. Right? Like everybody gets a trophy. And so we expect, when I come in from the field, I expect the master to get up and give me a standing ovation. I expect him to have me sit down and start to wait on me. But that's not the picture that we get here. Now granted, there is another angle that kind of gives us that hint elsewhere in the scriptures. I think Pastor Jared covered it when we were back in Luke chapter 12 verse 37 and the master finds his servants being faithful. He has them sit down and he serves them a meal. 
Psalm 23, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. We are made co-heirs as disciples. We're made co-heirs with Christ, which means he doesn't call us servants. He calls us friends. We're not slaves. We're family. Okay, yeah, that's in there. But all that is a reflection of the grace of God. Grace, by definition, means that it is undeserved. It is unexpected. What chapter 17 gives us is the fair expectation of God. That we do not get thanked. We are unworthy servants. And we do not like that implication. Because we're Americans. We expect to be thanked. If I donate money, I expect to thank you. If I volunteer, I expect to be thanked. If I give you a compliment, I expect to be thanked. If I help you, I expect to be thanked. And Lord have mercy, if I let you in in traffic and you don't wave to me, God have mercy on your soul, right? I expect to be thanked. Occasionally, as pastors, we are thanked. Somebody will catch me out in the atrium and uh, affirm and thank us for the biblical preaching here. Uh, I uh, automatically assume they're talking about Pastor Jared because uh, that boy is really good in the pulpit and I love uh, hearing him teach. Uh, but the reality is actually that uh, you all are just here for the awesome band. First <laughs> uh, Peter 4.8 says that love covers a multitude of sins. I'm convinced that a good band covers a multitude of mediocre preaching. <laughs> like, just have a good band, you'll be okay. Uh, but whether you're affirming Gary or the pastors, uh, what I want to say in response is we are unworthy servants. We have only done what is our duty. I get to say duty a lot today. That's weird. Anyway, <laughs> but could you imagine if instead somebody affirms me out in the atrium and I break into a little end zone dance and I take my iPad and I spike it? Would, would that feel a little gross to you? It'd feel a little bit gross to me as well. And so two words stand out from this paragraph right here. Unworthy servants. Unworthy servants. The first word unworthy is basically this. That I am just lucky. I am blessed to be a part of his team. I can't believe that he lets me work in his field. I can't believe that I then get to come in and I get to wait on him. I, I, I'm unworthy. You understand what I deserve is hell. Everything north of hell is bonus plan. So when I come in from the field and I start serving him dinner, I'm not in hell. Awesome. I'm on the, I am an unworthy servant. That, the next word servant is this. Is God my servant or am I his? Got to make a choice. Does God exist for my purposes? We act like that most of our lives, right? Does God exist for my purposes or do I exist for his purposes? Like he created me for a reason. I am an unworthy servant. We shouldn't expect to be thanked. We shouldn't expect to be served. In fact, in, in, instead of being thanked, we should be thankful. Okay, we're not done with the scriptures yet. There's more in front of us this morning. And the first part that we just looked at is the fact that we are not thanked. But the next part is about being thankful. Let's continue. We left off in verse 10. We pick it up in verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers 
who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, some of you know a little bit about leprosy, perhaps from teaching in the past here. I want to make sure we're all up to speed. This would be a catch-all category for all kinds of skin diseases. More often than not, it had red open sores on the skin that were oozing, right? Rest of your skin might turn ghostly white, and it starts to spread over your whole body. It, uh, it's terrible. It would often attack the extremities, so you would lose fingers or toes. You might lose your nose. That was common. You would lose ears or lips. Sometimes you lose eyelids, and then it would lead to blindness as well. It also attacks the nerve endings so you can't feel pain. So a very common thing is you might have a finger slide off and not even feel it and know. That's terrible, isn't it? It's like your, your flesh is rotting away even while you're alive. You're like the walking dead. And I'd show you a picture of what that looks like, but let's leave the donuts right where they are. You know what I mean? And even if I showed you a picture, you wouldn't be able to smell it. But because of the way, the nature of the disease, you're very, there's a stench. It's terrible. Oh, and by the way, it's also incurable. There's no hope for you, at least back in that time. There's no hope. It's incurable. And that's why it was handled not by doctors, but by priests. Did you see that? It's handled by priests. It's incurable. And it's not only terrible and incurable, but it's also very contagious. So the only response that we would have as a society back then is to quarantine, to isolate, to contain it so it doesn't spread to others. It was actually commanded in the Old Testament to quarantine. So once you were declared a leper by a priest, like you might have the image that you lie in your bed at home and your family would tend to you. Oh, no. Once you're declared as a leper by the priest, you had to live outside of town, often in caves or in leper colonies. And if clean people were coming, that's what they would say, if clean people were coming anywhere near you, you were obligated to shout out, unclean, unclean, and probably bang some pots and pans together. You weren't allowed within six feet of any clean person, including your family. Usually people were so scared of the disease, they wouldn't let you that close. They'd pick up stones to get like a stray dog to chase you further away. That's why in our passage, these guys are standing at a distance calling out, Master, have mercy on us. So you don't touch a leper, okay? <laughs> Caleb, when he was growing up, could not make the di distinguish between a leper and a leopard. Principle's the same. You don't touch them. They're both dangerous, right? There's no touching. But I want you to imagine the isolation then that you would feel as it's not only a physical disease but a social one, right? And for that, let me read to you this record. His wife said, you should go to the priest. He went to the priest who put him in isolation for 14 days. When he was brought out, the priest looked him over and found the leprosy had spread. The priest told him he was a leper. The heartbroken man said to the priest, let me go to my wife and children and tell them goodbye. The priest replied, you cannot tell them goodbye. You will never be able to take your wife in your arms again. You will never again be able to put your arms around your children. The man went off alone. 
His family brought his food to a certain place and then withdrew and he came to get it. In the distance, he could see his wife and observe his children growing day by day. Do you feel that? Do you feel the isolation? Being ostracized, the total lack of hope and pleasure as you just watch and wait as your flesh rots away. So Jesus tells these 10 guys, hey, go show yourself to the priests. Now, why did he do that? I already told you this was not handled by doctors, but by priests. But not only would you be declared a leper by a priest, but if in some miraculous way somehow you got healed, only a priest could certify you as clean again, which means now you can return to your family and to your community. So here Jesus is, He's in the process of healing them. And he says, go to the priest. Because Jesus doesn't want them just healed. He wants them whole. He wants them clean. He wants them to reconnect with their family and their community. He wants full, whole restoration in their lives. So I want you to understand that healing a leper is a really big deal. Like this is a big miracle. This is a big one. What can we glean from this so far? Well, number one, the church is a hospital. The church is a hospital. Do you notice that these guys, they uh, were messy and broken and gross, and they went to Jesus, okay? You don't go clean yourself up. Go heal yourself so that you're good enough to go to Jesus. Wouldn't work. They didn't clean themselves up. They couldn't clean themselves up. In their mess, they went to Jesus. The church is a hospital. But unfortunately, I think a lot of churches think that this is a hospital that you're only allowed to go to if you're healthy. And think about that. Think about a hospital. You're not allowed to go to it if you're sick or broken. Isn't that dumb? The church is a hospital. You don't clean yourself up and then come. You come and then meet Jesus and get cleaned up. That's the direction it flows. First Jesus, then healing. Not go heal yourself and then come to Jesus. That's not the way it works. The church is a hospital. And when you need to go to the hospital, the spiritual one, the church, specifically Jesus, what we have to do is, secondly, we have to have desperate faith. Like, did you catch that? They said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. That is someone expressing desperate faith. You're saying, I'm a mess. And I have to be healed. I need healed. But I can't heal myself. I've tried. It won't work. And my only hope is Jesus. Jesus, will you heal me, please? That's desperate faith that just runs to him. Have you done that? I hope so. I hope you're doing it over and over. Just run to Jesus with desperate faith. Now, you might think that the story is over. But the part with the lepers actually kind of continues a little bit. Let's get the rest of it, starting in verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. 
I don't want to highlight two phrases in that passage. The first one, most scholars would say there's like a spotlight shining on that passage right on now he was a Samaritan. It's very significant. Some of you might know some of the biblical history. Let me make sure you're up to speed. Samaritans and Jews, no love lost there. They did not like each other. Actually, Samaritans, they started out as Jews. They, they were not supposed to, in that day and age, intermarry. We're, we love intermarriage here. But uh, they weren't because what happened is when they would intermarry outside the Jewish faith, and they usually took on those people's gods, and, and that happened. So uh, the Jews would look at Samaritans and call them racial half-breeds. As well, they, they were spiritual defection, and so they went after other god, gods. So Jews hated Samaritans. They would walk out of the way to go around Samaria, add hours and hours to their travels, just to not go through that neighborhood. Some of you have done that, to avoid a neighborhood because of those people. So here Jesus is walking between Samaria and Galilee, evidently on a border town. And the implication is that these ten lepers were a mix of Samaritans and Jews. There's an interesting effect that we see that sometimes when two kinds of people are at odds with each other, sometimes tragedy or sickness unites them. And that's what's going on here. When you can't live with your family or in your town, you've got to live in a leper colony, you don't care if they're Jew or Samaritan. Let's just help each other. That works for the lepers. But that would not necessarily be the attitude of the Jewish crowd following Jesus. They would be saying, what in the world is God doing healing someone like that? That, are you kidding me? Why would God help that guy? I mean, he is not only a leper, he's a Samaritan. you, You can't get any more of an unworthy servant than that. If somebody's like a lover of cats and a Michigan fan, Okay, like, uh, like that's two things, like that's a lot. That's a lot, right? But, but all okay, right, joking aside, let me help you feel it. Remember back in the day when AIDS kind of crashed onto the scene in our society? And we were really ignorant about it at the time. We didn't understand the disease. We thought, if I just use the same bathroom, I'm going to get it. Not true, but that's... So there was a lot of fear and a lot of disgust surrounding that disease. Okay. There's a disease. Now let me interject a racial issue. Uh, Imagine a white supremacist who comes across a black guy with AIDS back in that time. See how he would have felt? Okay. That's probably how the Jews would have felt about a Samaritan leper. Why would God heal that guy? That's how they'd feel. So talk about somebody who feels very marginalized from society, like a really big outcast, like God could never love me. The Samaritan leper was the quintessential unworthy servant. And what we see here is a couple things. Number one, Christ's heart for the outcast. Christ's heart for the downtrodden, for the one who is marginalized. Listen, some of you feel like there's no way God would want you. Could I just tell you, if Jesus loves a Samaritan leper, he'll probably love you too. He'll heal you too. Right? And then secondly, there are certainly racial implications here. When God created, he made one race, the human race. 
Now, in God's marvelous creativity, he injected that one race with wonderful, beautiful racial diversity. But when Jesus came, he came back for just one race, the human one. And so the grace of Christ crosses racial boundaries. The healing of Christ crosses racial boundaries. The worship of Christ crosses racial boundaries. The church of Christ crosses racial boundaries. Family crosses racial boundaries. And our faith crosses racial boundaries. And Jesus is being very clear about that right here. Your faith has made you well. He affirms the Samaritan as part of his family. Now that's the first phrase that seems to be very much highlighted. Uh, the, the other one I want to point out is just to the left of it there. Giving him thanks. I want you to imagine for a moment. You're this Samaritan leper. Okay? Now Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. Because evidently, what, we're being healed? Really? So I should go to the priest to get certified? So you start going, and as you're walking along, the red sores start clearing up. The, the ghostly white skin, maybe fingers are regenerated, toes, I don't know. Maybe you've lost an eyelid and gone blind, and an eye all of a sudden, wait, I can see again. My eyelid's there. You're astounded. What you know in that moment is, yeah, you need to get certified by a priest, but tomorrow I'm going to be hugging my wife and kissing my kids again. Oh, that would just be so amazing. So what did the guy do? Did he run home? He ran to Jesus. He ran to Jesus. He fell on his face at his feet, and he worshiped him. Don't miss, that's worship of Jesus right there. The phrase giving thanks, the word in Greek, is that same word is used 38 times in the New Testament. In every other case, it is quite clearly giving thanks to God. It is worship and praise of God. And here this guy is in a posture of praise on his face at the feet of Jesus, worshiping him, praising him. And Jesus later says he's praising God at Jesus' feet, right? You see that? So he is worshiping. And yet there's almost a tinge of sadness in Christ's voice. He said, um, weren't there, weren't there ten guys healed? Where, where are the nine? Like there should have been an impromptu choir of worship. Instead it's a solo. What is wrong with us? Here's a question. Will you be the one or will you be one of the nine? Will you be the one or the nine? Like, do you want to get stuff from God and run away? Or do you want to run to God in worship? Do you want God or do you want his stuff? What if Jesus healed you, not so that you could run away from him, but what if he healed you so you could run to him? What if he created you for a purpose? What if he healed you for a purpose. And what if that purpose is that you could be in relationship with him, you could serve him, and you could worship him? So hopefully you catch the contrast between these two different stories. The first one says, we are not thanked. The second one says, but we should be thankful. We should be thankful. We, we so want to be thanked. And we get miffed when we're not. But we are unworthy servants. We are just doing our duty. 
God has shown us such grace, such unmerited favor, such undeserved love. We ought to run to him and worship him with a loud voice. Let me be very clear. God does not want Jews. And he doesn't want Samaritans. And he doesn't want Gentiles. And he doesn't want black people. And he doesn't want white people. And he doesn't want brown people. He doesn't want women and he doesn't want men. He doesn't want rich and he doesn't want poor. I could keep going. God wants thankful disciples. People who know they're broken and have no hope in themselves, but have been healed by him and run to him and worship him in relationship with God. And if that's true of you, we're family. I don't care where you're from. We're family. It's quite clear from this passage. So, that, that is giving thanks to him. Now, I want to give you a couple applications from this that we can work on. Uh, the first is this. You are an unworthy servant. You are an unclean leper. You're welcome. You came this morning to be insulted by your pastor. My job is done here. Some of you are saying to yourself, I will never be good enough for Jesus. Can I just tell you clearly? You're right. And he knows it. Uh, The lepers were never good enough for Jesus. You think they cleaned themselves up at all? No. We're not good. We are unworthy and unclean. Jesus knows it. And then he heals us by grace. And at the end of the day, you're going to have to choose one or the other. Look at all I'm doing for God. He's so lucky to have me. Or, look at all God's done for me. I'm so lucky to have him. I don't get it. Why? I, don't, I don't know why I get to serve in his house. you got to choose one of those. And if you think God owes you, if you think God should serve you, if you think you should be thanked, then you have probably not embraced the depth of our depravity, and therefore you'll never understand the beauty of grace. Like that song, Amazing Grace, you'll never get it. You only get it because we start out going, wow, I, I have no idea why he would choose me. Now, secondly is the good news, and, and it is that you can be loved, you can be accepted, you can be healed in a relationship with God. If you approach Christianity as religion, okay, as religion, which means I'm going to earn favor with God, I'm going to impress God. That was the approach of the Pharisees. But what we encountered in the scriptures today is a picture of the gospel. And it means that it is, I'm undeserving, it's all grace, my heart explodes with joy, and I run to him in worship and I praise him with a loud voice. But it is rooted in relationship with him. Check this out. Nine guys were healed and kept running away from the Lord of heaven and earth. The one who could not only heal their leprosy, but could heal every other area of their life as well. Only one guy had the good sense to turn back, to go to Jesus in worship and in love, and to connect with him. You see, nine guys had God at a distance. One guy got up close personal relationship with Jesus. All ten got physically healed. Only one got spiritually healed. Be that person. Be that person. And ironically, 
a Samaritan. Beautiful. Third thought of application is this. we got to have an attitude of gratitude. It's not my phrase. It's been out there a while. I just love saying it because it's the only time I get to be like a real preacher. Right? You've got to have an attitude of gratitude. Right? Like, I just love that. But it's so true. See, in both stories, uh, we, uh, God owes us nothing and we owe him everything. In both stories, we need to move from entitlement to gratitude. And so for that healed guy, think about this. What if the weather were really crummy later that day, like it started raining and storming? Do you think he cared? No. I just got healed of leprosy. Who cares? What if he got home and found out that one of the goats died? I don't care. Right? you got to put it in context. So here we are as people. We deserve hell. We are promised heaven. And we complain. We don't have an attitude of gratitude. Look, you cannot choose your circumstances. But you can choose your response to your circumstances. To have an attitude of gratitude. And so what I think, all of us have complaints. All of us have stuff that we don't like in our life. What if we put it in context of the fact that God has healed us eternally? I deserve hell. I'm promised heaven. Okay, I don't like that, but whatever, I'm good. To live with an attitude of gratitude. How do you do that? Two suggestions. One is to start a gratitude journal. Get a fresh, clean journal. Write in it for like... 10 minutes every day, noting big things and small things, like oxygen. That's a good one. Thank you, God, for oxygen. Like everything. You just start to soak your mind in all that God has done for us. That'll train your heart towards gratitude. Now, the problem is our hearts are so trained to the negative. So here's another exercise you can do. What if you take a month where you're not allowed to say anything negative? Shannon and I did this at one point. We realized that we were being hypercritical, way too negative. We took a month moratorium on saying anything negative. Can I tell you, that month sucked. <laughs> I can say that now. I couldn't say it during that month. But it was hard. It was so hard because we're so geared toward the negative instead of towards gratitude. We need to have an attitude of gratitude. And then fourth and last, we need to be praising God with a loud voice. Do you notice that leper? He was not so reserved. That guy was reckless in his worship. Why? Because he was overwhelmed with grace and it showed. So... uh, Pastor Austin was mentioning it, but you know, like a couple weeks ago, I was teaching on giving, and as part of that, I said, hey, we're taking today's offering. We're sending 100% of it right out the door to bless some charities. Uh, Nearly 15 grand went down to Robley Alto, which is a children's orphanage association in San Jose, Costa Rica. And and we sent it down there for their medical fund, and uh, I received this video back. Isn't that awesome? They are praising God with a loud voice because God has moved on their behalf. Now, before I received that video, because it took him a little while to do that, uh, first I received an email from Pam, who is one of their leaders down there, and it said this, Here in Roblialto, we received the news with 
screams of joy, applause, praises, and a great deal of gratitude. Thank you, Pastor Rick and the Redemption Chapel family. This gift brings much blessing to the little ones we serve. And what I should have written back is we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. But I wasn't working on this passage at the time. So, so uh, what I sent back and said is I said, Pam, we could hear you guys all the way up here in Ohio. Because I wanted to honor the fact that they were praising God with a loud voice. Can you picture the scene when they're in the office area and she turns, guys, they just gave us nearly 50 and they just scream and shout and it just erupts with loudness. That was just medical supplies. What if God heals you eternally? What should be your response? What should be your response? We should be praising him with a loud voice. So what I'm telling you is that this stuff ought to impact our Sunday morning worship. Enough of the cardboard worship. Do you know what I mean by cardboard worship? The frozen chosen? Right? Like meager, measly music where you use your inside voice and give whispers of worship. It's just not right. When you capture in your heart all that God has done for us, we have to praise Him with a loud voice. Notice it doesn't say praise Him with a perfect pitch voice. That's not in the passage. And you're so bunged up about how you sound. Listen, when you get what God has done for you, the only thing that makes sense is to run to Jesus, fall on your face at His feet, and praise Him with a loud voice. And I'm going to give you a chance to do that here in a moment. First, stand with me and let me pray. Father God in heaven, we are so grateful for all that you have done for us because we want to begin by admitting before you right now we are unworthy servants, we are unclean lepers. You owe us nothing but hell. And yet in your grace and in your love, you gave us a bloody cross and an empty tomb. You healed us eternally. And Lord, we do not want to just keep walking away. We want to run back to you right now and fall at your feet. We want to worship you with a loud voice because you are worth that and so much more. Father, we love you and we pray in Christ's name. Amen.